Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, this is Taylor Vipless. I'm recording this at 11.30 p.m. Monday night. I just finished my six-hour drive back from Charlotte. It was as bad as you could imagine. And you might be asking yourself, Taylor, how are you doing this? Aren't you tired? Just like any normal person would be right now. And normally I would be, but no, not today, not tonight. Because do you hear that? That's the Mac Brown hype train, and it's giving me the energy right now to record this. Full steam ahead, we've got Dan Orlovsky on this episode, who was the color analyst for ESPN during Saturday's game. I'll be giving all my takes from UNC's thrilling upset win over South Carolina, and I'll be answering some fan-submitted questions. First, I just want to talk about how shocked I was from Saturday's game. If I was a betting man, I would have put everything I had on South Carolina. I would have taken out a second mortgage and cleared my savings. I would have bet my next Inside Carolina check and the next one after that. That's how shocked I was about Carolina pulling this upset off. There was just so many storylines that went against the Tar Heels. You had Sam Howell's inexperience versus a four-year starter in Jake Bentley, an inexperienced offensive line, three basically freshmen starting, Nick Polino playing out of position at center versus a D-line that was supposedly South Carolina's biggest strength Suspensions on defense, former quarterback starting at middle linebacker. This had all the makings of a UNC blowout if this team was the team we saw the past two years. And sure, reports out of camp were positive and players said the right things. But you know who thinks they have a good team after training camp? Literally Every team in the country. We heard the same things last year and the year before coming out of Chapel Hill. So when I'm being objective, I have to sift through the fluff and take the facts I'm presented with. Yet every question or concern I had about North Carolina, those players and coaches silenced all all the doubts I had in my head. They prove they're better with improved quarterback play, prove they're better with Aaron Crawford back healthy, and for sure prove they're better than five wins the past two years. It looked like a team that is tired about hearing about 2017 or 2018, and you could see that motivated them leading up to Saturday, and it was just this built-up this built-up energy waiting to be released. The players have bought into what Mac Brown is preaching and fast, but it it's looking from the outside in. It's not hard to believe why they're believing in and why they're trusting what the coaches are saying. First, Mac Brown, he's a Hall of Fame coach with the national championship. That ring starts walking around the Keenan Football Center and. As a player, you start focusing more, you're sitting up straight in meetings, you're waking up to your alarm at 5 a.m. with a smile on your face, 
ready for practice, ready to get the day started. Second, he, he didn't have to come back to coach. He could have lived comfortably off his ESPN money, lived somewhere on a beach during the offseason with his wife. So you know he's coming back with everything he's got. And on ESPN's broadcast, you saw that in his post-game press conference on the field where he was nearly moved to tears. That's a coach you want to go to battle for. In Charlotte, I was with a bunch of lettermen, and the overall message was how we wish we had one more year of eligibility to play for Mac Brown. These are guys that played in the NFL, went to ACC championships, won a record amount of games, set a ton of school records, and you know they have more aches than you could imagine from this game. And here we were jealous of the players on this team that we wouldn't get the same opportunity to play for Mac. And after the game, you know, instead of ready, instead of getting ready to go out, we went back to our Airbnb and we put on Mac Brown's post-game press conference on the TV and we sat in front of it like it was a, a Quentin Tarantino movie. Those 12 minutes could have been two hours and I don't think anyone would have complained or moved from that couch. The conversations that weekend started with question marks surrounding the team, and it finished with, you know, could game day come to Chapel Hill if this team starts 4-0 for that Clemson game? That's crazy for how quickly the fan base, how quickly the former Letterman, how quickly the perception is changing around this team, all because you know, guys are believing. And Mac Brown has this team believing. This team has talent. We knew that. I saw more depth on Saturday than I expected. They finished a football game. They have bought in. And now there's no reason to think they can't contend in the Coastal this year right away. Their final record might not reflect it, but that South Carolina team they played and beat is still a good team. They're somewhere probably, Jason Staples in one of the other Inside Carolina podcasts said they're probably around the 35 range, and I agree with him. They're still a good team. The Tar Heels just wore them down, put them on the ropes, and delivered knockout blow after knockout blow in that fourth quarter where I think the strength and conditioning just took over and what Coach Hess is doing while South Carolina you know, was crawling to the finish line. They had, it looked like they had nothing left. And that North Carolina team looked like they could have played a whole nother game of football. It it was that obvious just being there in the stands, how, how ready one team looked in the fourth quarter and how out of it the other team looked. And it only took a few short hours on Saturday to change my outlook on the season completely if the team is going to look like that on a regular basis. Let's now move to the Dan Orlovsky interview. It's always good to hear guys from the national media talk about Carolina football because they're not in this UNC bubble thinking about UNC all the time. They can kind of compare it and contrast it to other teams that they've watched and and they've studied. Um, 
Dan is a guy that I have a ton of respect for. I admire his work at ESPN. He's a guy that I look up to and kind of see my, myself trying to take the same path he does. I, I watch all his breakdowns. Um, he really he really knows his football, and I, I think that's obvious when you listen to him talk. But first, I wanted to remind you all about Johnny T-Shirt. Located in downtown Chapel Hill, they've been a Franklin Street tradition since 1983. Family and alumni owned and operated. They have you covered with your football jerseys, your Mac is back t-shirts, hats, visors, all the sideline gear the coaches are wearing, your tailgating supplies, basically whatever you need Carolina-wise, they've got you covered. They're your place to go. If you can't make it to Chapel Hill, you can shop online at johnnytshirt.com. I bet a lot of fans are getting ready to go to this Miami game. I bet that atmosphere is going to be crazy. So before the game, check out Johnny T-Shirt. Treat yourself to a new outfit for the game. And don't forget, Inside Carolina subscribers get an exclusive 10% discount on everything they sell. All right, here's Dan Orlovsky. Joining me to start the podcast, we've got former NFL quarterback and ESPN's Dan Orlovsky, who is the color analyst for the North Carolina-South Carolina game. Dan, first, what were just your overall thoughts on UNC's performance? Oh, man, it was outstanding. You know, when we sat down, when I sat down and watched tapes throughout the week, it's a a unique thing because, okay, you watch some stuff of of players from last year, but you don't necessarily know what those players are going to look like in this system, this scheme. And then you go watch the schemes that are being infused with Phil Longo and Bateman, and you go, okay, you try to figure out how it's going to fit. And, and everyone throughout the week would ask me, what do you think is going to happen in this game? And I would tell people, this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. I honestly think North Carolina will hang with them, and this will be a toss-up game near the end. And then you, you, you spent some time around the team, and you, you, you talk with the coaches. And when we sat down in our production meeting, I said, we got to talk about Mac Brown and the confidence he's instilling into these players early on in the game and I remember Max saying listen we have to make this a game of wills and we are going to have to find a way to break their will and uh, a lot of coaches say that um, but he was able to get his kids to offensively break the will those two drives break the will of South Carolina's defense and North Carolina's defense just kept them in it long enough to make a couple plays are you at all surprised with how quickly it seems the team has bought into Mac Brown and this coaching staff? Did you see that video after the game? Did, you know, <laughs> like, you, it, it's one of the cool things about doing, doing college football is you meet a lot of different coaches. And, listen, you could sit down and within a very short period of time um, get a feel for if you were a parent. I'm a parent of four. If you were a parent, would you want your kids to go there? Would you want your kids to go play for – that coach and Mac Brown is easily one of those guys that you as a parent would go I want you to take my 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 17 or 8 year old son who's a kid and be a part of his process of becoming a man Uh, so I'm not surprised you know when I asked him this question I said Mac how are you at your age coming in understand that you're trying to help them and not nag them that you're not just like the old uncle or the old dad that's just picking at everything. 
and two things stood out to me. He said, Dan, when I get these kids and tell them, hey, when you meet somebody and you and I'm telling you to take off your hat, he goes, I tell them it's for them. It's not for me. I, I'm, I'm helping you out. When someone's walking through the door, hold the door for them. That's for you, not for me. And I never really heard anyone express that in that way. And, and then he said, and here with these kids, the little things, they're not little. Everything is a big deal to us. And uh, a capsule of, of what he's brought and why the kids have bought in. Sam Howell in game one as a true freshman. As a quarterback yourself, what did you think of him? They kind of had the uh, the training wheels on him in the first half and then kind of let him go that second half. Yeah, incredibly impressive uh, to handle not only it being your first start, but handle a pretty good defense that's got some NFL talent on it and then handle the moment. You know, I really believe the throw right before the first half was big for him. He, he took that shot down the field to Daz Newsome on third down. It was dropped. And you saw some players and Phil Long go over to him. And I don't know if this, they said this, but I said it like, listen, if I'm them, I'm going up to him saying, keep throwing it. We'll, we will make the play at some point. You keep throwing it. And it seemed like he just kept throwing it. And what happened was you watched a play caller in Phil Longo instill confidence into him. And he got more and more confident as the second half went on. And when he needed to make some throws, he made some big time throws. And um, obviously, Deami Brown had a huge, incredible catch. Um, but just the way he carried himself throughout that second half, you could tell the confidence that he played with. It was a very impressive performance. Speaking of quarterbacks, Chaz Surratt moves over to defense, and in his first game at linebacker, he posed 12 tackles, a sack. In reality, it could have been one or two more sacks. He missed a couple. How impressed were you with him? Oh, I mean, he's got to be one of the great stories of college football. This is a guy that went from quarterback to playing linebacker at a Power 5 conference and arguably being one of the top two or three players on the field defensively in the game. That's unheard of. And when we talk to their defensive coaches, they, they use the word, they, they think he could be special. They thought Surratt could be special. And he was all over the football field. You can tell instinctually he understands football, certainly some mistakes miss tackles understood every linebacker makes those but just the athleticism that was on uh, on display the understanding of space and football and how things kind of are to go together as pictures um a, 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 an impressive performance is is uh, undervaluing it going forward this is my last question for you what do you think we learned about this unc team after that win yeah, I mean, listen, the expectations change in a, in a day, right? You know, the expectations, okay, Mac Brown, he's, he's back. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll rebuild, and the expectations now are a little bit different. I think you learned that th this was not a two-win football team last year, right? I mean, we talked about that a little bit on our broadcast, five games by uh, a single possession. Uh, so this was not a two-win team in the essence of getting smacked around every week. Um, you learn that you, you, you've got a very promising young quarterback. You've learned that um, as an offensive line, uh, the leadership of Charlie Heck matters and, and the, 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 the communication matters. There's some special players talent-wise on the outside. But when you get a coaching staff that believes in your players and then takes that and equips them, 
the belief in the players then goes from just the coach to the player believing in themselves. And that's the big difference that I take away. All right, Dan, thank you uh, so much for taking the time. To talk to us, everybody check him out on ESPN. Get up. He's, he's always bringing it. Thanks bud. All right. Now I'm going to go through my thoughts on the Carolina game. I'm going to start with just my overall negative thoughts that I had on the game. And then I'm going to run through each position group and kind of just say what my general thoughts are from the team. And then we're going to finish it by I'll answer questions that were submitted to me on Twitter. You could submit the questions to me Monday at TVipolis, or you could DM me either way. I'll get it. I'll try to answer it. So starting with the negatives, I thought Carolina played a dangerous game handcuffing Sam Howell early and being conservative with the play calling. Now, I get why they did it. This is his first game. They're trying to get him in a rhythm. They're trying to build up that confidence. But I think they could have done a better job changing up the play calls inside the red zone, taking some chances. If he came out firing and threw an interception, it could have taken UNC out of the game. I get that. But the only reason they won that game was because their defense kept them in it in the first half. Is it realistic to think Carolina's defense can play that well going forward? That that still has to be seen. But against better teams, you can't leave that many points on the field. They had three red zone trips early on, and you got only nine points to show for it. That's just something that I don't think is sustainable going forward. As good as Carolina's defense played, I don't think you could put that much on them and ask that much of them um, to the point where you could just be settling every time you get into the red zone. I think they got a little too run dependent early on and just didn't just didn't want to ask Sam Howell to do things. I would have I would have pushed him a little more early on, um, just to try to see where he was at. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and Carolina got the win, so. Not all is too bad, but I think going forward, they they can't handcuff Sam Howell again early to start the Miami game because if if Miami comes out and scores a couple times on the defense and the defense all of a sudden can start to tell the offense isn't getting going or they're not doing their best in the red zone, that can take a defense out of it and you know, fourteen nothing becomes twenty eight nothing. And by that point, you know, it, it becomes demoralizing. The next negative I would go to, and I'm covering this because I haven't heard anyone at Inside Carolina talk about it, I don't think. But I want to just talk about Jace Reuter because I would say it's a negative. He didn't go in just looking at it from his perspective. You have Cade Fortin transferring. Mac Brown says before the game, you know, we have packages for Jace Reuter. We want to play Jace Reuter. And then Jace Reuter didn't go in. They weren't letting Sam Howell pass it freely early on. So if I was Jace Reuter, I would kind of be thinking, you know, if we're not going to pass it freely, why not have the better running threat in the game to be another man that South Carolina had to account for? This is another thing where hindsight's twenty twenty. I tweeted out that I wish we got to see what Jace Reuter did after Sam Howell fumbled his second fumble and Howell immediately responded leading leading UNC to two touchdowns but 
I thought we'd at least see what Ruder could do for at least a drive in this game. He's still an unknown, a great running threat. Would like to see how he's kind of developed as a passer. But it was, again, one of those things where you don't know how playing Ruder affects Sam Howell's confidence. And if if Howell is the coach's step, is the coaching staff's guy moving forward, they're going to try to play Howell as much as possible and build him up. But at the same time, you can't expect Ruder to just stay content if he's not getting any snaps because I think he's he's a power five starting quarterback. The last negative that I'll touch on before we go to each position group is the coverage in special teams was bad, like really, really bad. Every punt or kickoff felt like South Carolina could take it for a touchdown. And that's something that has to get corrected going forward. One of the fans asked a question about the punt and kickoff uh, units respectively. So I'm going to wait to um, talk about that a little further once we get to the questions. But for now, I'll just say the coverage in special teams was really bad. So going by position by position, and just talking about what I thought about each position group, Sam Howell. I thought he looked as good as he could look in game one. He had really great touch on his deep balls. I thought every ball he threw 20-plus yards down the field was right on the money. I I don't recall of him overthrowing anybody or missing really any throws that Carolina was asking him to make. So I was impressed with Sam Howell. You could see where the comparisons come into guys like Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel with that play style. That one play where he kind of got whipped around, uh, scrambled to his right, threw it running, uh, where it went right through the South Carolina's defensive back's hands and into Daz Newsom streaking down the sideline. That was a play where it felt like vintage Manziel where he's in trouble. He's in a ton of trouble. This is a play that's going to go bad 99% of the time for other quarterbacks. But you know, that 1%, this is a guy who's going to make magic happen. So I was impressed with Sam Howell thought he played as well as he could. If you're looking for a complaint, it would be when he's running the ball in high school. He was more used to being able to just, he was never really, uh, a top end speed guy like a guy like Jace Reuter would be. And I think he tried to bully his way through high school football running the ball. So maybe he thought it would kind of be like that. But I think he's just got to do a better job protecting the ball, put the ball on the ground twice. I know that's something that the coaches are going to want to get cor- corrected and and work on going forward. The running backs, I love the running backs by committee. Michael Carter and Javante Williams handled a majority of the carries. I thought they looked good. I thought a guy like Antonio Williams kind of waited his turn. And by the time he came in, that South Carolina defense, they had nothing left. Carolina's offensive line was getting better as the game went on. Antonio Williams was fresh. Got all his yards that fourth quarter, that one drive, and was just a great change of pace. I think Antonio Williams is a running back who could be starting at 
almost any school in the country or getting more carries than he got Saturday for Carolina. But he's a guy who comes from a winning program at Ohio State. He knows what it's going to take for this team to get into serious contention. And I think he's a guy who's willing to do whatever it takes. And you need guys like that on your roster. And he's a heck of a third option at running back. When teams are getting worn down, you put him in. He's not going down first contact. None of of Carolina's running backs are going down first contact, but especially with a guy like Antonio Williams coming in that fresh fourth quarter, third quarter, second half. He's a guy who could be a change of pace and, and really take advantage of how tired the defense is and how fresh he is. Javante Williams rushed for over 100 yards. He's every all the buzz was around Javante Williams. He lived up to the hype. I think he had about 225 yards all last season, and he's almost halfway there already after game one. So the hype has definitely been real for Javante Williams. Michael Carter, really good burst, the ability to bounce runs to the outside, use his speed. Carolina's running backs, they came in with probably the most hype out of any position group thought they lived up to it by far wide receivers each receiver made a big play now when I was watching the receivers Daz Newsome has that drop right before half and Mac Brown kind of harped on drops all all off season so it was kind of like a oh no like were those criticisms serious should that be something fans should be worried about and then he bounces back and posts a a huge game Newsom finished with four catches for 74 yards 18.5 yards per catch I thought he had a really good game especially coming after that drop he really responded well to the challenge my x-factor going into the game I said was Deami Brown I said he has to be a number one receiver, and I think he's starting to prove that. That one-handed catch he had in the end zone to get Carolina going in the second half was up there for best catches I've seen. And he's a guy, he has all the tools. He could beat you vertically. He could run good routes. He has great hands. Now he's just got to put it all together and become a consistent option to be that number one guy. He's got all the tools. And if you're a Carolina fan, you're hoping he he could build on this performance, 69 receiving yards and a touchdown. I mean, how awesome was it to see Toe Groves out there? Everything he's been through, multiple season-ending surgeries, um, just coming from a really tough life at home, making his way to Carolina, making the best out of every situation, And just being rewarded by getting the chance to go out and play. He had a huge third down catch early on in the first half, finished with 35 yards. Anton Green had a huge catch, uh, the one that got challenged. And he, he had possession of the ball, caught it before it got trapped into the ground. Bo Corrales, Bo Corrales, in my opinion, I've been saying it since Bo Corrales got to campus. He is such a weapon in the red zone. You'll take your chances throwing the ball up to him, knowing he's going to come down with it probably 80% of the time. So Bo Corrales is a guy who 
probably upset he's not starting over Anton Green, not getting as many snaps. But when he's in that red zone, he's just as good as any receiver. And then as a whole, the receivers did a great job blocking downfield. A lot of the times when you see these big runs, it's because the receivers are downfield blocking. It's it's what springs that extra 15, you know, 20 yards on a rush. And Carolina's whole mantra this offseason has been be the one, be the one, be the one. Be the one plays in perfectly with blocking downfield as a receiver. It's it's not something as a former receiver we're really trained to do in high school. All our all our plays come from making big catches. We don't block. We're not really taught how to block in high school. And it's a new process when you come to college. It's uncomfortable. It's physical. It's demanding. And you could just see those receivers are buying in. They want to be the difference makers. And they're making blocks downfield. And, and that's your wide receivers blocking is usually the difference between a 10-yard first down or the run that goes for 40, 50 yards. The O-line, I was impressed with them. Just the fact that they were building a lot of depth when playing. I don't think they got out to the hottest of starts, protecting Sam Howell in, in pass protection. But, they were a unit that got better as the game went on. Their focus in the offseason was becoming leaner, becoming tougher. And we saw them in the best shape at the end of the game, bullying South Carolina's defensive line, which came in as South Carolina's defensive line is probably a top 15 D-line unit in the country. There's not too many units besides Clemson that Carolina will see, Clemson and Miami, that Carolina will see a D-line better than those guys. And I think the O-line handled it really well. Nick Polino goes down. Brian Anderson steps right in at center. Carolina doesn't miss a beat. You didn't see any quarterback center exchange problems with Nick Polino shifting over to center, out of position. Brian Anderson comes in with not too much game experience, still great snaps. Montalus, McKeithen, Tucker. We knew what we were getting with Charlie Heck. The rest of those guys, I was impressed with them because they got better as the game went on. Switching to defense, Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford are dominant. I'm not sure there's a better word to use than dominant. If you go back and watch them and just focus on them, South Carolina is putting so much attention on those two and they're still beating their coverage regularly. Jason Strobridge was in the backfield so many times, got so much pressure on Bentley. Now, Strobridge didn't get a sack in the game, But just the pressure that Strobridge and Crawford were creating, I think, made the difference defensively. They just let, they just didn't let Jake Bentley get comfortable in the pocket. And you could add guys like Tamont Fox and Alan Cater to that group of making 
Bentley uncomfortable and forcing Bentley into turnovers. I think if you give Bentley the chance to do that drive where he threw the interception to Wolfolk to kind of seal the game, if you give if you gave him that opportunity a hundred times against that Carolina defense the way they were playing, I think Bentley maybe converts it to a touchdown ten percent of the time. That's how good the defensive line was on Saturday. And that kind of parlays into the linebackers and talking about Chaz Surratt because South Carolina had to focus so much on Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford. That opened it up a lot for Chaz Surratt. And Chaz Surratt, there, there's not enough praise to go around for Chaz Surratt. Mac Brown harped on it in his press conference. This time last year, Chaz Surratt was a quarterback. It almost, it's not even really understandable to think that at this point last at this point last year, Chaz Surratt was practicing with the quarterbacks. The, to the untrained eye, to somebody who didn't know anything about Carolina football, they would just have said, "This kid is a heck of a linebacker." You don't even have to add in the fact. This kid is a heck of a linebacker for somebody who's just playing his first game at the position at the power five level against a team like South Carolina. It was that good of a performance where if if you're if you're mentioning it was a good game for somebody who just transitioned, you're kind of doing a disservice to how good Chasserat did. Led the team with 12 tackles, got a sack, probably could have been couple more tackles, missed tackles. Yeah, I understand it. But he also had the opportunity for one or two more sacks. And that's just something that's going to come with time as he gets more comfortable, uh, as he can come through the line under more control at the quarterback. Because he's a guy, he sees a hole, and he was through it. Like, if you're if you're giving him even the slightest window to go through, He's coming through it and getting in that quarterback's face. And he only, he only had one sack, the sack that closed the game, the sack that sealed the game. But he's he's a guy with the opportunities you have in front of him with Strobridge and Crawford and Tamon Fox and Alan Cater. He's a guy that could get you know a sack a game, two sacks a game, just because of how fast he is, how athletic he is, his awareness of where he's supposed to be. And I thought he also did a good job in pass coverage it's it's just crazy to think about how how far Chasterat has come along. All right, last position group before we get to the questions, the secondary. Trey Morrison goes down after seven plays. Patrice Renee suspended for the first half. Greg Ross and Storm Duck stepped up. At times last year, quarterbacks were trying to find where Greg Ross was and throwing at him. He shut down South Carolina's number one receiver yesterday. And Greg Ross blanketed him. He's he's a guy who's right there with Chaz Surratt. They took a ton of flack last year. But now with Dre Bly instilling some confidence in Greg Ross, the team believes in Greg Ross. And if Greg Ross is going to play like he played on Saturday, alongside Patrice Ernay, alongside Cameron Kelly, alongside Trey Morrison, all of a sudden, your corners are great. Storm Duck, 
Mac Brown said at times he didn't know if he was playing zone. At times he didn't know if he was playing man. He didn't give up any big plays. And that's something where the more he plays, the more he gets comfortable, he's going to be a good option. So I think Renee going out and Morrison going out was a blessing in disguise for Carolina because they got guys good game experience. They got guys good experience for later on in the season when they do have to count on them. Or if Morrison does have to miss the Miami game or if Renee ever does go down, they have guys now who know what they could do. And they have guys that they could trust. And they have guys that can make plays. And then the star of the defense this week in the secondary, Miles Wolfolk. He had one of the best games I've seen from a safety in recent memory. He was coming up. He was breaking down plays at the line of scrimmage. He was in South Carolina's face, letting him letting them know he was there, that he was going to be there all day making plays. And then he had two key interceptions. Now, the knock on Miles has always been, can he stay healthy? Can he be on the field? Can he make tackles? He showed he can make tackles, and he showed when he is healthy, he's a heck of a player at safety. Overall, I was just really impressed with the defense schematically. I thought Jay Bateman did a great job putting guys in the right place. They were there fitting. Now it's just, can they tackle better? And I think, like Mac Brown said, as the weeks go on, that'll, that will improve. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness. Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals, presented by YouTube TV, continue on ABC. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So now let's get to questions. Carlos Tover on Twitter asks, are we buying the hype? Is Mac really back? Is this team really an over 500 team? Yes, we're buying the hype. Yes, Mac is really back depending on what you mean when you say buying the hype. Do I think this is a national championship contending team? No. Do I think this is a team that can win the Coastal year one? Yes. Is this team really an over 500 team? Yes. And that's because they play in the Coastal. The Coastal has been waiting for somebody to step up, somebody to take the reins and be like, this is our division. The same way Clemson has taken over the Atlantic, over Florida State and and Louisville. So the Coastal is waiting for that team to take over. And a lot of the games that I would have had as toss-ups before yesterday, I'm shifting over to the win column. I don't think there's a way the team we saw on Saturday loses to Wake. I don't think the team we saw on Saturday loses to App or Duke or Virginia Tech. 
And then all of a sudden the games that I wasn't too sure they could win games like Miami, all of a sudden those games, I think Carolina has a chance. And I would even say Carolina could very well beat Miami. Shaquille Rashad (laughs) asks, is it too early to book my Charlotte Airbnb for the ACC championship game? I will say it's too early. If you're looking for the right time to strike and get a good deal, I would say wait after four games. So Carolina's already 1-0. If they beat Miami, if they beat Wake, and if they beat App, if they're going into that Clemson game 4-0, book the Airbnb. Because I think at that point, that team would have so much confidence, especially if they play Clemson close. But even even if they lose to Clemson, if that team starts off 4-0 and they start getting confidence around that building, I think they're, they would be my team to beat in the Coastal. Jonathan Bass's question is, why did we kneel it on fourth down? Why not punt out of bounds to at least push them back a bit farther? That's definitely a situation I think Mac Brown wishes he had back. Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, Carolina had three timeouts. So in hindsight, I think they probably would have wished they used that before the fourth down, kind of discuss their options. Why didn't they punt? I think going back to the Michigan, Michigan State game a couple of years ago, you kind of saw what could happen when when a snap goes wrong in your operations punting. You have an inexperienced long snapper, an inexperienced punter. If even for a second, you know, doubt starts to creep in one of the, those two's head, that play spirals out of control, and South Carolina's walking the ball back into into their end zone. So, I don't know what my play would have been. Maybe I think I would have just had Sam Howell drop back try to take as much time off the clock as he had uh, with your offensive line in, in their pass protection, and then just throw the ball as far and deep as you can out of bounds on the sideline, but still where there's a receiver in the area so you don't get the intentional grounding penalty. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, it's a lot easier for me to say that now looking back than being on the sideline and trying to come up with all the situations in your head in real time. Young Simba said, I noticed that Patrice Rene suited up in the second half, but Dom Ross didn't. I thought they had the same first half suspension. Any reason why Dom Ross didn't play the second half? Yeah, you're right. They had the same first half suspension, but UNC actually suspended Dom Ross for the second half as well for a violation of team rules. So he served the full game suspension first half for fighting in the state game, second half for violating team rules. Patrice Rene didn't violate team rules. So Patrice Rene played in the second half. Uh, expect Dom Ross back for the Miami game. How did Bo Corrales and Jonathan Smith end up so far down the depth chart? Both were important contributors last year. Aaron Keach asked that question. Um, well, first, Jonathan Smith was suspended for, I think, the first two games because of academics. Um, but Bo Corrales was still the fourth receiver. He was just behind, not even really the fourth receiver. He's the first receiver outside of 
Anton Green and Deami Brown because he's not going to play in the slot. And I think he is a guy who is going to see more reps, especially in the red zone for as, as big a weapon he is. So I don't think Bo Corrales is really that far down the depth chart. Um, and then who knows where Jonathan Smith will be when he gets back. But I think just the way Chasserat is playing right now, I, I don't see how you could take him off the field with his athleticism and what he brings to the table, especially as he gets more comfortable in that role. What will Cameron Kelly's role be? And who will he replace when he is in? Tony Belk asked that question. So they asked this during the press conference and Mac and Jay Bateman's responses. He's going to play corner. He's going to play safety. He's going to play nickel. So when he comes in at nickel, he could play for DJ Ford. When he comes in at corner, he could take that second corner spot opposite Patrice Renee. He could go in at safety for either Miles Dorn or Miles Wolfolk. So Cam Kelly is a guy who brings a lot of versatility to the, to the field. I think you'll see him predominantly at nickel. That's the feeling that I get from the staff, but the more positions he could play, the better. Rob McCormick asks, curious about any changes on special teams, particularly punt and kickoff coverage units. Miami seems super dangerous. Miami is super dangerous. They have a ton of athletes. They have a ton of guys that could take it to the house every time. And Carolina's punt and kickoff coverage units were bad, very bad. Um, but those units, they're all about just winning your one-on-one reps, staying disciplined, knowing your responsibility. Because on kickoff, if even one guy misses his lane assignment or one guy misses the tackle, all of a sudden that entire lane is open and creates this parting of the sea for for a good kick returner or a good punt returner if if he sees that. So Carolina, I don't think it's anything they have to do schematically fix. I think it's just better tackling and better lane discipline. There's Tar on these heels, says, can you cover comparisons between the South Carolina defense versus Miami's defense? Miami has a slightly better defense, I would say. South Carolina's is probably in the 25 to 30 range. And Miami's is probably a top 15 unit. Defensive lines are similar. Garvin is Miami's best defensive uh, is Miami's best defensive lineman. They've got a great linebacker in Quarterman. Brandy is their number one corner. And they, like Carolina, they had suspensions they had to deal with in their first game. So you didn't really see a full unit against Florida, and they still looked like a top 15 side. So I would say Miami has a better defense than South Carolina, especially in their front seven. They have some depth concerns in their secondary, but overall they're they're a physical team. They're going to want to get in your face. They're want they're going to want to press you, play play man to man coverage, talk a lot of smack. And uh, Miami has Miami does have a, a really great defense. Nick from Miami says. Does UNC have any chance to beat Miami and their elite defense? If you would have asked me just a week ago that same question, I would have said their chances are slim and none, and slim just left town. But now I believe Carolina can beat Miami, and going into Saturday, I would expect Carolina to to beat Miami. Now Miami is going to be playing desperate, coming off a loss. Carolina is going to be playing with a little a lot of confidence, maybe too much confidence. But I think Carolina is going to know Miami is a desperate team 
and their focus revamps up this week. And you see a great performance by Carolina's defense, Sam Howell, a little more comfortable. Carolina's got the edge at quarterback right now, I think, in Sam Howell. Jaron Williams, I I thought Jaron Williams did a lot better than Dan Enos says Jaron Williams did, but that offensive line gave up 10 sacks. Carolina has a great defensive line. Then you factor in, it's a night game. Mac Brown's first game, Carolina's coming off a win. We saw the home game last year when it was a night game against Virginia Tech. Carolina fans brought it. I think they're going to bring it again. And I would expect I would expect North Carolina to come out of the Miami game with a win. That's how that's how big of a 180 I've kind of done on this UNC team. And the final question is coming from RC2. What is the most important thing to look for in the game versus Miami? The thing I'm looking at is what team is celebrating with their turnover prop the most. You've got the turnover chain versus the turnover belt. Whatever team is bringing that out more is going to be the team that wins the game. Two inexperienced quarterbacks, primetime game, who does a better job protecting the ball? And the quarterback that protects the ball better, I think their team comes out with a win. So that's a wrap on this podcast. I'll be back next Tuesday, breaking down the Miami game. So I'll catch you then. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.